We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, everyone? Your boy Jack Manuel here for the Brooklyn Buzz. No Nick Faye, but I have a very, very apt replacement. That is Chris Mulholland of Nets Daily. He's joined the pod before. We thankfully and awesomely have him on for a second time. Chris, how are we, my friends? Doing good, brother. Always a fun time talking to you. I really, really enjoy whether it's on Twitter or like just in person like we're doing now. Well, not in person, but virtual, dude. It's always a blast. I'm well, I'm in the same time zone as well. So it's, it's exactly. about time we did this. So let's get right stuck into it. You summed things up in terms of Kyrie Irving's recent news on NetsDaily.com. So the NBA is fine. Kyrie Irving $50,000 for, quote, making obscene gestures on the playing court. Chris, was it worth it for Kyrie? It was worth it. It was worth it. You know, like, I'm one of those guys that's very, like, I, I wouldn't, like, a lot of people call it, like, that old school mentality. But I'm one of those guys, too, that, like, don't get me, like, there should be, there's 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 a rift, right? Because, like, number one, it's like, okay, th- there's a fan side, the fan code of conduct, which is, like, kind of an unwritten thing. It's like, okay, when you go there, you're supposed to be a fan. You know what to say, what not to say, right? But obviously in sports, you know, especially when, like, you you have Kyrie Irving turning into TD guard. Everyone knows how returning players, especially superstar players, when they go back to their home arenas, how they're going to act. He already knew that they were going to go into it. Plus, he had handfuls of experience before that. It was 100% worth it, in my opinion. It was only $50,000. A lot of people thought it would be more because, obviously, when you for that type of offense, one finger could have gone 50K. So when you look and look at especially what was caught on camera from the two middle fingers, he had another one. Uh, as well in the game, and then he had the half court, the halftime um, kind of mostly. You know what he said to the fan. I'm not going to say I'm here, but pod with Nick as well. I was a bit. Yep. We didn't say that key word, but we said the other two words that he mentioned. Yeah, exactly. He mostly said "suck my" and then yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So he had that as well. So you know, overall, money's well spent. You know, I was one of those guys. I put it out on Twitter. I was like, "Money well spent?" Question mark. And everyone's like, "Oh, what are you talking about?" Like it was so much. I'm like, I'm like, I'm asking you guys the question. I'm not asking my opinion. You know, so definitely no, that's what well I put on Twitter. Actually, I just said the best fifty grand Kyrie Irving's ever spent. You're much more objective, which is why so many people do enjoy exactly. your content. But in in saying that. Obviously, you thought it'd be more. I think you you mentioned that fifty thousand dollars is the maximum that the NBA can find. So if Kyrie Irving wants to go ham again, you're better off doing it all in like one massive sort of blip. Because obviously, you know there were the separate incidents, and 
it depends on you know where they sort of rated each the, the discrepancy and the seriousness of it all obviously certain ones who, who knows there's if it wasn't for mobile phones a couple of them probably wouldn't have been caught to to be totally fair but in saying that where do you think the fan behavior i, I spoke about this with nick immediately after the pod and i was a bit emotional and that sort of thing but i still tried to remain you know step, take a step away and go okay is Kyrie crossing the line here? Are the fans overstepping the line here? Where do you see that sort of murky area, I, I guess? I guess, the, well, this is the thing, right? The, especially ones behind the TV and especially officials, players. The players are only the ones, especially some officials too, that know what they're saying to the players, right? So that's not going to... Sometimes that get, gets caught on the phones, but half the times, you know, fans... There's going to be fans that do do that trash talk and include what they say in it. But the whole reason they're holding their phones there is to bait the player into getting the reaction they want, right? Because every in the type of world that we live in, especially on social media, everyone wants that viral clip, right? Everyone wants that viral interaction, Kyrie cursing at the guy or, or fl- flicking him off, or whether it's Kevin Durant, or whether it's a player as simple as like Bruce Brown, for example. Because every all fans, you know, they want that type of interaction. You know what I mean? Especially most hostile fans. Don't get me wrong. 95% of fans are great. They cheer for their team. They know the boundaries. They know what to say. They don't know what to say. But you're going to have that 5% of fans that are very passionate. And especially, and you're also going to have out of that 5% of fans, you know, if you really look at that, what was it? It was 19,156 fans. It was a sellout crowd. I can guarantee you there's probably maybe close to 1,000 that just went to that game for one reason because Kyrie Irving was in town. So you know what to expect there. So my line mostly crossing is that, I, like I said before, I'm a big I'm a big believer in, in players try, talking back, you know, especially – don't get me wrong, like, if it's something physical, then obviously that can't be in the game. You know what I mean? If it's something physical between the players and the fans, that's something physical. But if there's just some chatter back, whatever the case is, I'm more than for it. But the thing is, it's kind of that very kind of uh, misty, I guess you could say, line. Because at the same time, if a player keeps doing that or the fans know that that's a thing, is that going to raise the hostility between those interactions? So it's a very hard thing to leak to handle. Obviously, the players get the kind of the hard hand for it because they work for the NBA. And do they get fined? Yes. And do obviously do fans get ejected sometimes and banned? Yeah, because that's what happened with the fan that threw the water bottle at Kyrie Irving. So it's a very hard line. That it's very hard to really decide there, but really to put a bow on the whole thing. I really just think that um, that players should have the opportunity to speak back and speak their minds. Absolutely. We've seen it with Kevin Durant I hate this season. He's been all over TikTok and stuff and certain things he'll say might cross the line or whatever he shouldn't say, but you know, he's Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I thought was the way he handled it, it, it was I, I thought it was it was mostly in, in good faith. You know, he's sort of using that, he's sort of scratching his head, he's making, you know, facial gestures, that sort of thing. I think a lot of it is, you know, just salty fans. And and we're all mm. for all of us in, in our fandom in whatever sport it might be, there is a level of, of saltiness. You know, I used to be salty about Ben Simmons before he became Brooklyn that given my Australian ties and then you see Boston Red Sox fan I think I saw yep. we're yelling out Kyrie sucks or whatever the hell it was and it's just like all right guys and, and I think Doug you know a, a good friend of yours and, and a friend of mine as well sort of put out the point that there is the a man. line yeah he's Doug's a legend oh man is, the legend there is a line where it becomes to a point where athletes become just that and you know people fans forget that you know these guys are human beings so i think that we need to sort of keep that in mind and again coming from a nets fan uh, a nets reporter here we do realize our allegiances as we speak but it's not just Kyrie Irving we're talking about so something to keep in mind i guess yeah of course because that's the thing right because obviously especially as a fan like me growing up for example watching the nba right especially when you grow up and you're not around these players a lot 
or you're just a fan, you go to games on occasion, whatever the case is. You know, a lot of a lot of guys like growing up playing basketball, they model their their whole life around these guys, right? How they get to the professional level, how how they're kind of an idol, how they're kind of a a kind of leader, how they really conduct their lives, you know, especially if they're pursuing the art of basketball, right? So that gets very miscued. And obviously, like like you just touched on right there, a lot of people don't understand that or fully understand that, hey, like these guys are also humans. They have feelings, they have this, right? And I'm not I'm not that type of guy that's like and obviously you have the counter argument too that's saying, hey, these guys are getting paid millions, millions of dollars. Like they could take that heat for what they're getting paid, which I completely understand that argument too. But you also got to think about it is, yeah, it's it's part of the game. You know, obviously a lot of these guys, when you grow up playing basketball, you hear trash talk all the time. You hear you're getting called the worst names in the book. Some some players do, but there's got to be there's got to be a fine line. You got you like you just got to treat yourself like just be like how can I kind of word this? I would mostly say that like. If you were if you were those fans that were like trash talking that player and like at the end of the day, you know, multiple fans like I've seen it throughout the years. I've covered the NBA when fans really trash talk and then their face gets in, into it and then it gets leaked to the public. Then they turn into a whole different person. They they delete social media. They get embarrassed by the whole thing. So they got to keep that in mind because a lot of these fans do when they do trash talk, they think nothing's going to happen to them like nothing. They don't think they're going to get tossed from the game. They don't think that they're going to get publicly embarrassed on social media or they don't know if they're going to get fined, banned or just overall just can't go back to NBA games anymore if it's the worst comes to worst. Yeah, it's about thinking of those consequences for players, fans, everyone else that might be involved. But a, a player who's certainly got plenty of his guff along the way is Ben 10, Ben Simmons. And we got a big update, Chris, literally. Yeah. Nick and I today discussed Ben Simmons on the podcast and like this morning at like 11 o'clock. It's now nearly 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and we got a new update that he is now practicing four on four. We got you know video, we've seen photos from the net social media. We even heard Steve Nash actually admit it. You know, go from you know one on zero to four on four in the space of two days. Who would have thought? But in in, in saying that, where do you see this update for, for Ben Simmons? Is the return Game three, game four, we've heard so many different varying reports around it. Where do you stand with this newest Ben Simmons update? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a great update, right? Because obviously four on four, that means he's going through contact. That means he's been cleared for contact, right? So that's the biggest takeaway I got out of this whole update, that the guy's playing through contact now. Especially with the way the series has been going, especially, you know, we saw it in game one. It's only one game, but we saw the level of physicality that these both teams play with, you know, especially on the defensive end of the ball, which is going to be where he fills in the most. So I've, I've always been a firm believer that he's that I don't think the Nets will bring him back on the road, right? I, I've always thought they would bring him back at home. I think you literally transition. said that when we're talking about yeah. Ben Simmons with Philadelphia you know, a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the thing, because like you got to think about it, especially with a guy that hasn't played basketball since last June, and especially since it's what? It's close to, it's almost nearing a year, you know? Obviously, there's a couple months in between, but... It's come to that point of you got to make this transition as easy as possible, especially since it's postseason. And a lot of people say, okay, like, hey, he could get out there and play in, in TD Garden in the Celtics, right? He could take it on. He, he, he saw what the environment would be like in Philly, whatever the case is. But there's going to be a lot of pressure. There's going to be a lot of butterflies for him getting back on that hardwood, especially since he knows what stakes are at hand. Because you don't know what the game two uh, outcome is going to be either. If they go down 2-0, I'm a big fan of bringing back game three. You're going to need it. But if they could tie it up at 1-1, and then head into game three, and if they go down 2-1 or 1-2, I, I think it would be game four. It's looking like game four. It really is looking like game four because, obviously, as we all know, Brooklyn splits games three and four. But um, if, I, if I had to pencil something, I would say game four. But at the same time, the, it, the lack of transparency, especially on Nash's side, a lot of people saying, I, I could, I'm uh, kind of a believer in this, that, hey, 
even though Ben Simmons, we see the videos, we see the workouts. He's even told us like, hey, take a video of this. We're, I'm going to take a dunk, right? You see all this stuff, but at the same time, Ben Simmons is such an integral piece on the defensive end where he's going to plug in. I see a lot of people talking about all the time that, hey, you know, that he, they may be hiding it because they don't want Ime Udoka to game plan for him, which could be a smart strategy because that's the same thing they're doing with Robert Williams right now because saying that, hey, he's probably not going to play this year. So it's it's about chess and checkers overall. You know, I, I could see a game being game three or four, you know, but at the end of the day, I'll be shocked if it comes in game five on the road. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. No, I think that that's totally fair. And, and in, in saying that, you, you think you, you're leaning towards game four. The mm-hmm. gap between game three and game four, I've seen you know, myself, Nick, so many people on Nets mm-hmm. Twitter advocate for game three because of the nature of the gap between game three and game four is just use game three as like you know, 10, 15 minutes or whatever and just sort of see if you can, how he responds to that. And then possibly game four is where you give him 20, 25 I don't think you know we'll see KD yep. 45, 48 minutes or whatever, but who knows? Mm-hmm. What do, where do you stand about a possible game three return? Just given the nature of how this playoff schedule has landed, I'm I'm completely in favor of that, honestly. Yeah, because like obviously as you know, like it's been, especially in past playoff series where it's every two days, this time it's every three days. It's very spread out, and especially that gives coaches a huge advantage with adjustments, game plans, and everything else. That's why all these series are probably going to end up being competitive down the line. But with Simmons, you hit it on the nail right there. I'm I'm all in favor for him to come back for a game three and get 10, 15 minutes out and just, hey, see how he reacts, right? There's no type of 
huge pressure on him to really perform, become an integral part. Because according to Nash, that this was the first time that he's played a four on four and ran through the plays. And obviously, as we know, in playoff series as well, by games three and four, every, the other team already knows what schemes you're going to be running, what plays you're going to be running. It's all adjustment based. And then obviously they're going to have their main vocal points of what to do, especially on the defensive end and coverages. But, you know, at the end, like I said before, you know what the play calls are already going to be. Right. So I would not be opposed to him coming back for game three, especially for 10, 15 minutes. At the same time, like, do I see Nash doing that? I, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked if it does happen. But I'm leaning towards game four right now, especially with the way it's kind of been building up a little bit, especially since the reports we've heard from Woj and Shams on their end, what Nash has told the reporters, you know, left and right. You know, it, it's it's really does look like game four. But if, it, if it's not game four, if it's not by game four, you know, do you bring it back for game six? I think it all I think that's ultimately going to depend on what the series is going to be looking like, especially the numbers, how much the Celtics lead. Nets lead is it tied up. I think if it goes past game four, it's going to be based on how the series is going. No, it's a, it's a totally fair point, and I think he, Steve Nash was asked, and he was non-committal about beyond game two. So mm-hmm. the fact that he left the door slightly ajar says something when it comes to Steve, because he doesn't leave many doors ajar. They're pretty mm-hmm. close when it comes to some of the stuff that he does say to reporters. You mentioned the sort of ten to sort of fifteen minute range. What do you envision? And we've discussed, you know, Ben Simmons at length, just you and I and Nick uh, together. What do you envision his role if it is limited in Game Three and all four? Definitely through defense. I, I think it's going to be more so defense, right? Because that's what they're going to need him to do. Because we saw, especially on Tatum, I think Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant guarded him the most. I think it was forty-seven point one. I could be mistaken on that number, but he held him to nine points when he's guarding man to man. And if you look at Nick Claxton, that was that was the ultimate. That was the second. That was the Nets' other defender on Tatum for a majority of the time, right? So you're going to see how that's going to be a plug on Simmons. Obviously, that's a huge burden for someone that came back from obviously an extended long absence, but it's got to be on the defensive end. I don't think he's going to be that much of an offensive threat. He's going to be one of those guys that draw gravity. He could drive the ball. His transition is one of the best in the business. And at the end of the day, he could help on the rebounding end, limit those second chance opportunities. So most more, more kind of just sum the whole thing up. He's going to be that guy that just does all those little details that just kind of perfect and make the Nets game on both ends of the floor flow more. So I'd be I'd be shocked if they give him more than that. I could see Steve obviously, depending on how the series goes. I think regardless, he's not going to put the heaviest burden on Ben Simmons. It's going to be one of those things of okay, let's just do the minor details, cover up these avenues, and then obviously we'll see if he goes on Tatum, which I'd imagine if he's on the floor, he's going to do that. Yeah, literally just fill in the gaps as he sort of yep. alluded to, sort of be like a six ten Bruce Brown because that's mm-hmm. basically what he is. You know, even with a. 75, 60, 70%, whatever percentage you want to put on it, you know, just having him for those minutes, you know, I, I spoke about before, you know, in terms of the eight-man rotation, nine-man rotation that the Nets do have, you can't not say that Ben Simmons wouldn't be, you know, valuable in some form or fashion. And those that advocate against it, you know, unless their reasoning is, you know, you don't want to you know, jeopardize any risk of injury, that's that I do understand. But for people saying, well, what's he going to do out there? You literally laid it out in terms of every single little skill that he can do. With 10 or 15 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. when, if he does work his way into this series, then the Nets do have a, a big advantage. And there always is, you know, the element of surprise as well. You sort of touched on, and I think it's a really good point, and a lot of other people have said it as well, that these two, two teams know each other really well. Ime mm-hmm. Udoka, former assistant coach, the Celtics and Nets, division rivals, have gone against each other in the playoffs as well as big, you know, regular season matchups as well. So having Ben Simmons as this, you know, ace up your sleeve, 
you know, no one knows what he's going to look like. We do know what he has looked like, you know, previously. So it's just going to be a, a a little bit of a joker, whatever other card mm-hmm. you want to sort of throw out there. So it is certainly an enticing proposition for the Nets to have heading into what is going to be a pretty in, uh, in back and forth series of what we probably both envision. Oh, without a doubt, right? Because like it was so tough picking an outcome too. Like it was really, really tough because I knew. A lot of people were kind of, I could tell, at least on the net side of things, so I, try, I rightfully understand, you know what I mean? You never want to pick the opposing team to win a series, you know what I mean? But, like, at the same time, it's it, the Celtics team is a whole different team than they were last year when the Nets beat them 4-1. So, like, the, like I was like, okay, I could, it's, I could see it going seven, you know? I was like, okay, let me pick, let me go with Nets and six, but at the same time, I thought, well, I already know what they're going to throw at Durant, and it was there was no surprise. They threw multiple different options of defense at him. Multiple bodies. The Celtics use their size and length on him. So you know, it's it's tough. I, you know, it's, I see it definitely going seven. Yeah, it's. I'd be surprised if it's not six or more. You know, it's yeah, just given the nature of what we saw in Game One, is probably going to be reflective of things going forward. In, in saying that, we haven't really touched much on Game One. You put a tweet onto onto your timeline, you know, asking people what their biggest takeaway was. Mm-hmm. Nick and I have given plenty of thoughts on that on previous pods. If you guys want to check that out. What would be your answer to your own question, Chris? The answer to my own question is, like, it's, it's, I have so many, dude. Like, I, like, I'm, I, I have. Scotty's notepad, he showed me earlier, guys. It's pretty extensive, not going to lie. Yeah, like, I got this and, like, five other pieces of paper underneath this one. So, obviously, you look, you look down from left to right, right? It's like, okay, you could start off as minors turnovers, right? The Nets regular season turnovers, like they did in this game, they're not going to pass in the playoffs. They know that. Same thing with kind of the, the, I guess, because, like, let me let me look down this real quick. I think number one because my biggest thing was okay, Celtic the Boston Celtics length and size can alter matchups. That's 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 been a huge one for me. That's been a huge one, and I think that's where Steve Nash is really going to have to adjust here because you don't know what you like. They did a, a pretty solid job over on the beginning on Tatum, but what happened was Tatum was smart enough to start facilitating the ball more, get involved in other ways. So that was another big thing. Defense on Durant, you know, my biggest takeaway overall is number well, number one is that Durant's not going to have that type of performance in game two. He always bounces back in bigger and better ways. Grant Williams literally looked like Tony Allen on some possessions on him, which I was like, wow. I was like, okay, this is impressive. Al Horford's not going to have that type of game. Al Horford was amazing, especially on help defense switches. I think there was a play in the fourth quarter or in the second quarter where Curry switched and then he went to the corner and Al Horford just jumped right on him and then the ball went in and he switched right back. It was insane. I was like, wow, this is like Atlanta Hawks, Al Horford. But, you know, like overall, it's one of those things. My, my biggest takeaway, number one, is Goran Dragic deserves more minutes. That that I think that was it's arguably a very common thing. But I think he's proved that he deserves more minutes. And I understand that, hey, he just came back from COVID. You don't know how exactly he's going to react, how he's going to play. Because obviously he was feeling symptoms. He was down in Atlanta for a long time. You know, it was from that Hawks game he spent, I think it was eight days down in Atlanta. It could be a little less or a little more. But um, he deserves more minutes. I love Patty as a just, he's a great guy. But at the same time, like, I think that he needs to be pushed back into that third string type of position because he is struggling. The extended slide is there. And especially in a series where, you know, they just, the Celtics defense is just smothering. And, like, you saw what Goran Dragic did. You know, he he was just, he cut into the lanes. He found his shots. He, his off-ball movement was spectacular. So I'd say overall, just Goran deserves more minutes, in my opinion. I think that's my main takeaway from game one, even though it's on a minor note. Obviously, a lot of people would be like, okay, what about the Stars? What about Irving? Is Irving going to have that type of performance? How is the defense on, not even on Jason Tampa, but Jalen Brown, for example? 
So there's many el- uh, many elements to this type of thing, especially Claxton's defense too. I could touch on that, but you know, I, I think number one to really just start off with after game one is it's evident that Goran Dragic deserves way more minutes off the bench. Goran, I think played about 26 minutes or so, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He in... played 26. Yeah, 26. 26. Good. I remembered that one. You've got it written down in front of you. So, mm-hmm. uh, but in where do you think his limits are? Because like you alluded to, there is the COVID, there is the age factor and whatever, but mm-hmm. there is something about his hyper-competitiveness, his playoff mm-hmm. readiness, his savviness, his experience, all those sort of things. How high can that minute load you know, go? I, you know, it's tough. It is tough because that's, that's the counter to that whole thing, right? The minutes. He paid 26 off the bench, which is like, hey, you know, that's good. If you want to cut it, I, I like it's, it's real, real, like maybe 35 if you really want to push it you know what i mean like 35 because you can put it next to irving too to get some extended minutes there too because the thing with gorn is it's not even just like the competitive nature the style that he played with just how he got to lanes his shooting getting to the nail getting to his spots but it's also that if you took if you took a look at game one when he was on the floor he really had a lot of teaching moments with a lot of other nets that were kind of lacking that playoff experience. Because Goran Dragic's one of the one of the, I think it's like four or five. I put that tweet out too. It was like one of four or five nets, I think it was, that reached the conference finals in, in his career. So he's been there and he's done that, and especially in the finals too. So, you know, it's one of those things where he had a lot of those teaching moments where he knows where the things to be. And like the Celtics too, especially they they their defensive coverages. They didn't give any clean looks, right? The Nets couldn't really survey what kind of action the defensive action going to throw at them. So, okay, let's run this. You know, they're very on top. They're very tight knit, smothering defense. But you could tell Goran Dragic could get that clean look. You know, he knew kind of what was coming, or he kind of had that. Okay, they ran this a little while ago. Let me go to this or counter it. You know what I mean? So, it's it's tough because the game two is going to look very. It's going to look a little bit different. You know, they're going to throw adjustments out there. But you know, to sum it up, I'd say. I would say 30, max 35, but again, it depends on how he feels. No one knows that except for him. No, exactly. And I go. I wanted to finish off with with Goran as well because you put out mm-hmm. you know a, a tweet sort of where he had some post game comments in terms of you know the accountability and just pretty mm-hmm. pretty honest and and sort of you know forthright with you know how the Nets were in game one. For those mm-hmm. that might not have seen it, do you want to sum it up and and give your mm-hmm. thoughts on on his comments post game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he called out his players. He called out his teammates, right? So we haven't seen that really since Jeff Green of last year, right? So the Nets, and I'm not I'm not taking that as a shot at the Stars for not calling out players throughout the regular season or anything like that, but he knows that, hey, guys, like, the, we're down 1-0 in a playoff series. This is exactly what we have to clean up that is kind of the foundation outside of adjustments. But it can't be a solo show because no, he even called him out saying, hey, it's not an individual sport. Kyrie Irving carried us this way, but he can't do that all the time, especially when Kevin Durant's getting smothered. The other guys do have to step up, right? So it was it was more so of that avenue. I like that. I really, really like that, taking that accountability and saying, hey, you know, this is what we have to do. This is the, And that will really spark up your teammates, especially because, like, the thing is, too, that goes a long way with the guys in the locker room because this is also a guy that came here. He had plenty of options to go to other championship contenders, including the Milwaukee Bucks, who are going to be in the, who are probably the next guy out of this series. They're going to face in the second round, most likely, right? So he wants to he wants to win here, and that show that should resonate with all the guys in the locker room, and obviously all the lock, guys in the locker room. They know what it takes to get there, you know. So overall, like I just re- that quote just overall just really really stuck out to me because number one, he took accountability. He, he said, hey, the, the fouling needs to change. The turnovers need to change. Obviously, Irving can't just be scoring the ball at a high clip and, ball, and the other guys be ball watching when he's in that zone of scoring 39. 
you know, getting getting his shots, going into ISO ball. So I re- I just I was a huge fan of that quote. I had to put it out. Yeah, he, and like he called the Nets out for like that was like my kids wouldn't make that mistake on the sort of inbounds mm-hmm. pass. You know, no one supporting oh, yeah. Kyrie Irving, which forced the turnover to Marcus Smart. Do you think that as has Goran Dragic sort of been doing this since he's come to the Nets? Because I remember little bits here and there and sort of providing that personality, that experience, that you know accountability, the sort of keyword that we've used a little bit. Has he sort of been doing that even before this game? Yeah, oh, 100%. I can imagine behind the scenes for sure, you know, because Steve, Steve has talked about it before, how much of a professional he is. It has came out of Steve Nash's mouth that this guy has – He's been a leader. He's been he's been a great mentor for especially a lot of guys that may have lacked that playoff experience. And at the end of the day, aside from the three Nets rookies, Cam Thomas, Dayron, and uh, Kessler, those were the, everyone else has playoff experience. They've been to at least a playoff, so that's huge as well. So he's been doing that type of experience because the thing is, too, Gordon knows, and especially all the fans probably do know, he's the likelihood that he's going to be back next year. You don't know. You don't because especially you know, there's a lot of teams, especially since now, he wants to win a ring. But you, we know how much the Nets are luxury, luxury taxed in. You know what their spendings are. You know what their big questions, especially when it comes to extensions, are. So, you know, it's he's he's been taking that leadership note throughout his whole time in Brooklyn. I think this was just the first time he said it on a public note because he wants to make he wants to really put an emphasis on it, not just say it in the locker room or say it in shoot arounds or open practices. No, definitely. And I remember you know you noted Jeff Green and I think it was after the t- Detroit game and how poorly yep. the Nets were playing defensively then. And it sparked a little bit of a turnaround. Obviously that was during the regular season. It's a lot harder to change things within a playoff series, but it's not to say that the Nets can't with, you know, Goran's leadership and a lot of the other guys as well. I, I think that there is you know, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets come out, you know, fit and firing for for game two, but any other thoughts you, you wanted to throw out there, Chris, in terms of whether it's this series overall or anything behind the scenes you, you wanted to share about, you know, just Nets world, what's going on with it? You know, it's going to be a big game, too. It's going to be a huge game, too, right? Because especially if the Celtics go up 2-0, you could look at history. Not a lot of teams do come back from 2-0. And especially, 7.1% you know, of 435 teams, my friend. I got that number in my head. There we go. Exactly. That's the point, right? And especially the Nets, right? A lot of people could knock on their kind of non-home court advantage by their record in the regular season, right? But Barclays Center does bring that different type of playoff energy. And any arena really does, especially when you have superstar talent on the floor, right? So... You have that as well, but it was it's very, very important. I know a lot of people take the perspective of kind of the broader one that says, hey, if as long as we can recover and take the two games at home, we'll be in good standing. It would be 2-2. Two, two. Now, like the, the, the idea is that you should take at least one of the road games and then head back with a 1-1 advantage because that, that just uh, kind of decreases that value that the home team had on that floor. So game two is a huge, huge uh, game in my opinion. I think, honestly, that the Nets should really pull this out. They know – that I, I really think that Kevin Durant's going to have a, a spectacular game. I really do think that he knows he's going to come out firing and he's going to be aggressive right off the bat. And Or he might just do the Tatum thing where he gets his guys involved early, you know, seven assists in the first half, eight assists. Like we've seen those kind of tail end of the regular season games to get the get the supporting cast flowing, which would not be a bad strategy at all considering the lack of second help that you saw aside from Nick Claxton and Goran off the bench. So to sum it up, dude, it's huge. Game two is going to be huge. Massive. And I remember, uh, I put out too many stats, I just forget half of them, but I remember when Kevin Durant 
assists, like six or seven or eight or more. The Nets are like 10 and two or something like that. Whereas in comparison to when he scores 35 or more, they're like something like 500 or, or a bit under that. So you know, Kevin Durant's facilitation has been awesome. And, you know, we had a 16 assist game, you know, the other night against the Pacers. So we'll wait and see how it does all pan out. It's anyone's guess. It's 50-50. It's, it really is a coin flip. But Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Tell everyone where they can find you because if they aren't already following you on all platforms, then they need to be doing so. Cmail Holland SB on Twitter. Uh, my work's on netsdaily.com and do, like like Jack, you know, like better than anyone. Like you know, like the thing is, it's you. You DM me, I'm gonna just respond back to you. I love talking hoops with anyone. I'm not just type of guy, you know, it's Twitter space. So I pop in them once in a while. It depends on the hostility that goes on in there. Cause you know, like you, you have, you, you have some fun. You go in and it's just like, but that's always fun. But yeah, email Hall and SB on Twitter. My works on netsdaily.com. And uh, yeah, I think that's good enough. You can just find me there. Absolutely. Get around all those platforms with Chris. He's an absolute legend on and off Nets world. Absolute. One of the best guys that I've ever interacted with in terms of on this buzz and just in terms of Nets fans in general. Chris, thank you so much, mate. And Nets world, let's lock in for game two. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.